This is Ignition. Welcome to Ignition, a podcast and radio show for the new evangelization. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Bergwald. And I'm Father Andrew Dickinson. Father, back from a mission trip with college students. How'd it go, Father? Went very well. Uh, always a good time and good students and uh, grateful for the opportunity to make it each year. Amen. Oftentimes, uh, things that happen uh, when, when Father is away end up becoming topics, so perhaps down the road we'll hear more about it. Yes. Uh, for today, and, and, and what we're going to do today is, is a Q&A show. So, so I've got a number of questions, um, many of them from uh, s- some of my fellow diocesan staffers, lay people uh, by and large, not exclusively lay people, but mostly lay people who work here uh, in the diocesan offices supporting Bishop Swain in his work to minister to the priests and people of, of the diocese. But again, as I said before, also encourage any, anybody, if you've got it, you know, as you'll hear, um, just a lot of these questions are common questions, things that we've devoted entire entire episodes to before. Um, so if, if you've got something that you'd like us to spend a lot of time on or just a quick, I've always wondered why this um, question. Either way, send those in uh, to, to me. My email address is cburgwald at sfcatholic.org. cburgwald at sfcatholic.org. So Father, should we just dive right in? I think we should. So Try to do these quickly and responsibly and all sorts of stuff so we can like, encourage people to send more questions. Absolutely. Um, we're, we're, uh, we're, serious. <laughs> we're serious when we say send questions. So the, the first question uh, is about purgatory. And we'll read the question, but, but just as a way of introduction, again, I mentioned sometimes we, we will develop or devote entire episodes to a specific question. And purgatory is one that um, last fall Father and I discussed um, back at the very end of October. So that's if, if you want to go back and look, you can find um, the Ignition online at the Dasison website. And the, the episode was 154. Um, Ignition episode 154, if you want to hear the longer version. But Father, here's the, here's the question, and, and then we'll, uh, we'll see what we can do to answer it in, in a shorter format today. Coming from the Protestant faith, I was told you either go to heaven or, or hell. There is no purgatory. My dad was always asking and wondering about this and would try to find reference in the Bible. I always wondered, is there reference to purgatory in, purgatory in the Bible, and what exactly is it? Thanks. Father, you're the Bible answer man here on this the show. Bible guy. Uh, Father Andrew, the Bible guy. Um, Bill Nye? No? Okay. Oh, there we go. Sorry. I didn't get to, uh, you know. So a uh, couple references would be, uh, first, the most uh, direct idea of praying of expiation for the dead, that your prayer can have some effect on the, the dead, would be in Second Maccabees, chapter 12, uh, verses 38 and following. And, of course, the Book of Maccabees is that book of uh, revolt, of the Jewish people revolting against uh, the pagan Greek oppressors. And uh, in their revolt, in their revolt there are uh, resistance against these oppressors that are trying to squash out the Jewish faith. Uh, there's a battle, and some of the Jewish uh, soldiers died. And all the fallen who died, they found that they were all had a, an amulet of a pagan idol uh, underneath their tunics. And so they had, in that way, sinned, a sin of idolatry. And so uh, Judas Maccabeus, the uh, leader of that group, and the reason that name Judas is popular in the New Testament uh, times, 
Judas has an offering uh, made and, and prayers and sacrifices offered for their sake uh, with an eye towards the resurrection of the dead. And it only makes sense to pray for the dead if there is a third state apart from heaven and hell, because if they're in heaven, they don't need prayers. And if they're in hell, the prayers are of no avail. Correct. Correct. No need to pray for someone in heaven. And a prayer for someone in hell, it's not going to do much. Right. As we said, hell is a prison locked on the inside. Yes, exactly. Prison locked on the inside. Well said. So uh, C.S. Lewis right there. Is it? Yes. Um, so, so even though I mean, in Second Maccabees the word purgatory isn't found, it's the concept of a third state in which somebody is, is, is cleansed or purified from their sins is, is implicit in the actions of Judas then. That that uh, that idea of some other state. Uh, another passage which speaks about some other state, aside from that, would be the story of the rich man and Lazarus, in Luke chapter sixteen, verse nineteen and following. And that story is about the rich man who uh, uh, lives sumptuously, and then a poor man, Lazarus, who is just begging for scraps from the table. And uh, uh, when the poor man dies, he's comforted by Abraham. The rich man is in torment. And uh, uh, he asks uh, for some relief to be given, and Lazarus says, no relief can be given from me to you. So this is before uh, the gates of heaven are opened, right? Right. Right. And so this says that there is, this is what uh, theologians referred to this place where he is with Abraham as the bosom of Abraham or the limbo of the fathers. So again, some idea in Jesus' own words of some place after death that is not heaven and is not hell. And it's one of Peter's letters too, Father, I think it refers to um, uh, a third place where basically the same thing, where, where the, uh, the, 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 the just souls of, of the time prior to Christ, where they died, where they, were, where they were awaiting entrance into heaven. There's explicit reference to there to a, a third state or a third quote unquote place apart from heaven and hell. Correct. And that's in First Peter chapter one. There we go. Right, where he talks about, um, uh, actually, no, it's not First Peter chapter one. I actually, uh, it's a different verse. Excuse me on that. Um, I don't have that exact verse off the top of my head right now. Uh, but there is uh, there is reference to uh, the reference. To, I'm thinking of First Peter. First Peter. Wow, I'm trying to get through all these uh, uh, topics. I just want to speak so fast. <laughs> I hear you. So deep breath. Uh, another passage which talks about uh, the idea of purification after death is First uh, Corinthians uh, chapter three, right? Which is about trial, right? First yep. uh, Corinthians chapter three, uh, around um, verse uh, verse twelve, right? About uh, building on the foundation of Jesus Christ. You build with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw. Um, the day. And day is capitalized, oftentimes in the text, the day, the day of judgment, Jesus Christ, the encounter with Christ. Uh, we'll disclose it and will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each one's work. Uh, if the work stands, uh, that person will receive a wage. But if someone's work is burned up, that one will suffer loss, but the person will be saved. So this whole idea of a testing or a trying after death for your salvation. Right. That would be probably the most uh, uh, conceptual reference to purgatory. 
And that ties in with the whole idea of testing in the Christian life from First Peter chapter 1. And there's the, the the reference in First Peter to the 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 souls of the just is First Peter three uh, nineteen in particular, but that's that's uh, actually uh, part of a larger sentence. It's not even a complete sentence in of itself. So uh, you can look that up for more. Again, look to that that uh, episode that we recorded last fall for twenty seven glorious minutes of our explanation of purgatory. Right, Father. Well, hopefully, at least maybe a couple of those minutes are glorious. Okay, well, that's right. <laughs> that's right. So, uh, can we move on, Father? Yes. So, next question, what's the difference between a nun, a religious sister, and a consecrated virgin? Uh, the, 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 the way that I, uh, Father, I'm going to let you, uh, tackle a consecrated virgin. The, the way that I colloquially, the, my everyday explanation of the difference between a nun and a religious sister is, um, if, if you're my answer, if you can see her, she's not a nun. Uh, in other words, a nun is, is a cloistered religious, uh, a woman who lives in a typically a con- contemplative, uh, monastery or convent where you don't see her except perhaps through a grill. So these are like, for instance, are Carmelites in, in Alexandria typically do not, except in um, certain very um, uh, specific circumstances, they don't leave um, the, the, the monastery, uh, the, 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 the convent. They're always there and you only see them through a grill. So a nun, re- formally speaking, technically speaking, a nun refers to a contemplative, uh, not as opposed to a religious who is involved in active life, out teaching or serving the poor or whatever it might be, the particular... Which would be like our Benedictine sisters from Yankton or Watertown or the Presentation sisters in Aberdeen uh, or the uh, uh, Adoration sisters at the cathedral... Exactly. So they would all be sisters. They, technically speaking, although we use none in sort of that broad sense, the the formal distinction is that if if they're an active active ministry, um, they're re- what's sisters. What's consecrated virgin? Well, you tell me. I asked you. <laughs> I said you'd explain it. No. So. <laughs> So my my understanding, and the catechism, by the way, does break down uh, the the various forms of religious life. These are all different forms of religious life, and and non, both nuns and religious sisters are part part of community life. So where there's a rule that they all follow. So again, Father mentioned Benedictines and and, and the Presentation Sisters, uh, the Carmelites are similar. A consecrated virgin. Uh, my, my initial uh, response to that would be somebody who is the, oftentimes uh, living in the world. So they have a secular profession. They, they might be, um, you know, a teacher, a professor, uh, engineer, uh, whatever it might be, a uh, doctor. Um, but 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 they they have she has consecrated her virginity to to God in and through the church. So she, she makes a vow, um, I believe. Father, anything you want to add to that? No, except that you probably wouldn't recognize a consecrated virgin if you saw one. Yes, yes, that's true. Dress in a religious nope. habit, where typically nuns or religious sisters usually have some habit of some sort, sort to distinguish themselves from others, uh, others in the world. Yep, yep. So yeah, yeah, you you definitely with a consecrated virgin wouldn't wouldn't know it just by looking. Uh, anything else on this question, Father, or should we move on to number three? I 
think let's move on. All right. What are the different types of angels and what are their responsibilities? So this is, you know, if we read about archangels in particular uh, in scripture, uh, Gabriel, Raphael, Michael, uh, but 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 oftentimes in 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 theology in the church we hear about other choirs based on some things that Paul says, other other rankings of angels, and just not just in not just in uh, in the scriptures you also hear about the seraphim in Isaiah, yeah, absolutely, yep, or the cherubim. Um, as well, and you also hear about it in the prayers of the Mass if you're an attentive listener. Yes, you do, especially the, the preface. The, yes. Many of the prefaces, the preface to the Eucharistic prayer, refer to the different choirs of angels. Um, and, 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 and so the Church does, you know, there's not a lot of teaching, formal teaching, but there is a lot of theological um, investigation uh, into these different choirs of angels. St. Thomas Aquinas uh, does a lot with this. Um, and and it, actually, there is a part of theology called angelology which is right. devoted exactly to that father uh any any anything that you can share with us in terms of that, sure, that again, theology uh, of angels? as you said i mean there's angels there's archangels we know that for certain as well as seraphim and a few others principalities from saint paul and powers um dominions dominions uh, and uh, uh, as far as the archangels, we only know three names of archangels, uh, Gabriel, Michael, Raphael. Uh, and uh, there is a reference by one of the archangels to other archangels as well, but those are not named. Um, then in Catholic uh, just kind of theology and angelology, there's the idea of angels, archangels, principalities, uh, powers, virtues, dominations, and thrones, cherubim, and seraphim. I could go into a little smaller detail on the responsibilities from uh, yeah. angelology, if you'd like. Go for it. Okay. So angels, archangels, principalities all deal with um, the realm of men, right? So there are guard, and there is, you could think of them as guardian angels, guardian angels for people, guardian angels for churches, and guardian angels for uh, countries. Now, why do a church or a country need a guardian angel? Because we think of them as that uh, they have a personal sense to them. There is a uh, there is in a sense they make actions just as a person makes actions, right? A parish, a diocese makes choices and actions just as our diocese is going through pastoral planning. That diocese is making choices in that way. Yep. Okay. Uh, the middle choir uh, does deals with the order of creation. Right? And so that would be uh, the uh, powers, virtues, and dominations, right? And so dealing with uh, the heavens and the earth and just the things of the created world in that way. Okay. And then the final three, uh, the thrones, cherubim, and seraphim, uh, uh, they contemplate the glory of God. And so that's why like, you hear about seraphims and cherubim and, even, and thrones in that sense in the visions of heaven that like the prophets Isaiah uh, and uh, Ezekiel and uh, John in the book of Revelation that they have. Right, and so, the, so there's that, that uh, distinction in terms of their roles, uh, what they, they do, frankly. Right. Okay. So, but again, I mean, that is an officially defined dogma, as you point out. It's just a, a teaching in that yep. sense. 
Yeah, and as, and again, to be clear, we do see the distinctions in choirs, but yeah, what exactly the role of the different choirs are, uh, the church hasn't formally. T- Interestingly, Father, I don't know if you, that, this is one of the points where there was a, a change from the first edition of the Catechism, so in English that was the tan color covered one, mm-hmm. um, to the second uh, definitive authoritative edition in English, um, which was, is is the green one. The first edition of the Catechism did have some re- mention to. Um, guardian angels uh, in in the broader sense of perhaps for nations and so on the second the the the, the authoritative edition of the catechism um, th- that language was removed not because it's not true but because the church doesn't formally hasn't yet formally taught that so the catechism just basically being containing what the church has formally taught they they decided to remove it because that it, it's not yet formal teaching so it's I don't know one of those interesting things to me about the differences between the catechisms Yes, yes. Very interesting. So the, total, the fourth... That's a total nerd point, by the way. Totally. That like 99% of the people listening in their cars are like, tan and green, I've got a white-covered one. What are you talking about? <laughs> that's absolutely... All right. Question number four, Father. Um, how does someone get elected to be a bishop? So, Father, how do you, how do you personally... How are you campaigning these days to become... For, for that... To well, I'm about, a grassroots campaign on the internet, uh, starting to build my network. There we go. You have to build your network small... And just make sure it's solid, find people you can trust, and then just bring the campaign gradually larger. You have to find your bundlers. Get those bun- those people who can raise the money to pay off people. That's an important thing as well. Exactly. Oh, without a doubt. Absolutely. No, no. Um. <laughs> no we're completely kidding. To be clear, that no, there is no campaigning. None. No, and no. Actually, can I make my little, can, I've got a little joke about my name. Okay. Have you heard this one? I don't think so. So, anyway, so when I was ordained a deacon, uh, some friends of mine were like, at the seminary, they're like, Deacon Andrew Dickinson, can we call you dad? I'm like, sure. And then he's like, well, hey, when you're a priest, you'll be fad. And he's like, and you'll never be a bishop because that would be (laughs) bad, right? (laughs) If I was ever named a Monsignor, the world would have surely gone. Oh, my gosh. Well played. Yeah. Well played. So anyways. That's awesome. Yes, uh, so that uh, stopped my campaign to be a bishop. It's uh, not going to happen for the, for that reason alone. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, how does someone get to be elected a bishop? The, the election, the choosing, is a choosing made uh, by the Holy Father in Rome, who has an office uh, that helps him to do that. It's called the Congregation for Bishops. Right. And one of their responsibilities is to be in communication with the local churches to see who are priests of good character, priests who work well with the laity, priests who are uh, men of prayer, uh, men of the church, and to see if they'd be suitable candidates to be uh, leaders of not just a parish, but of a diocese. So often, so obviously that includes the, the, the bishop um, uh, having, having men in mind who he might recommend. Uh, in his his diocese uh, to to become a, a bishop, uh, and also the papal nuncio. So the uh, many of many nations, including our own, have nuncios. They're sort of like the 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 ambassador uh, of of the pope to that nation. Uh, but they play within the life of the church. That's an important role that they play because even with the congregation of bishops, we're talking. There's still I think nearly four thousand dioceses around the world. Um, so that's a lot of candidates to, for bishops that you have to find on occasion. Um, um, and and so the, the nuncios play an important role in that way too. Uh, any any anything else with that that you think? Is... Uh, beware the man who wants to be a bishop. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yep, yep. But anyways, 
And always, um, as, as, as we did uh, during my time here, we've gone through, uh, as an employee of the diocese, the transition from Bishop Carlson to Bishop Swain. Certainly, when those, those times uh, between bishops come, be praying, uh, be, be praying for, for the, the, the man. And, of course, continue to pray for him once you find out who it is. Yeah, no Bishop Swain, I stopped praying for you once we found out we had a bishop. That, what was the point? Someone's going to get a phone call after this broadcast. <laughs> no, pray for, uh, pray for your, well, you know, if you're in our diocese, pray for Bishop Swain. Uh, if you're listening somewhere else, pray for your bishop. They certainly yeah, pray need Pray for them. Bishop Swain, too. Oh, yeah, please do. <laughs> uh, anything else with uh, how you become a bishop, Father? Mm, how does someone get elected a bishop? How does someone get elected <laughs> All right. Uh, next, uh, actually, we have two questions on this topic. Uh, the first one, uh, actually, I'll, I'll, I'll probably just uh, mention. I'll read them both. Does the teaching on Mary as ever virgin contradict Scripture? And and the the questioner gives a couple of examples from Scripture: Matthew thirteen verses fifty four and fifty six, and uh, where there's reference to Jesus' brothers and sisters, um, and then Matthew one twenty four, which refers to that uh, Joseph did not know Mary until she had born a son. So they did not have sexual relations until uh, he, uh, she had born Jesus. Sort of implies, well, didn't they afterwards? Um, and then also related the other question on this, on this topic, uh, the very next question, actually. I have heard that Mary did not have any other children. So what does Luke 8, 19 through 21 mean? And again, that's also one of those passages that refer to um, uh, Jesus's uh, mother, but also his brothers being there where he's speaking, standing outside, wanting to see him. Um, wanting to talk with him. Um, Jesus was going to get a spanking. No. <laughs> so, Father, um, it does, you know, we there, there are, these are clear passages in Scripture. We're not, you know, they're not just in Protestant translations or something. They're, they're, they're inspired words of, of the Bible that refer to um, uh, Jesus' brothers. So how can the Catholic Church then say that, that uh, Mary is ever virgin when there's that, and then the, that whole until verse, Matthew one twenty four. Well, let's uh, let's maybe go to that Matthew uh, chapter one verse first on uh, on okay. until, and just to, for the sake of uh, correction here, it's actually verse one twenty five. Okay. Or uh, chapter one verse twenty five, not verse twenty four. Uh, but so with that one, again, it's it's more of a statement about what happened before the birth of Jesus, and Matthew giving an uh, attestation, uh, and maybe for, conversation with Joseph or Mary, that Jesus Jesus really uh, was uh, uh, conceived by the Holy Spirit. Right. And so that's, that, that is the purpose and the point of that verse, just as uh, Jesus is referred to as a firstborn son. As well in Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 2, with the story of the presentation in the temple, right? Yep. Because being firstborn doesn't mean there's always a secondborn. Right. You're firstborn, you're firstborn. Right. And so it's more of just uh, that setting up of that, uh, uh, that uh, reinforcing that Jesus is conceived uh, by the Holy Spirit and not uh, of a normal birth. Okay. Okay. Um, and, that's, and, and interpreting it that way certainly does not violate the meaning of that passage. Okay, yep. doesn't contradict that. Would you agree? Yep. Yep. And so then with, uh, uh, like, Matthew 13, the other passages about the brothers, right, um, you know, one interesting thing that I always brought up with this is, you know, they're never referred to as sons of Mary. Correct, Yes. So they're talking about a relationship to Jesus, not a relationship to Mary. 
right? And so, uh, again, it's, so it's not a, you don't, so, so again, to read Mary as a virgin doesn't actually violate the scriptures in that sense. Right. Could you read Mary as having uh, other sons from that passage? You could read it in that way. But I think then to read it that way would go against other parts of scripture. What do you mean? Well, I mean that we teach what we teach about Mary because of what we teach about Jesus. Right. That Jesus is the incarnate Son of God, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, that Jesus was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so Mary's life uh, and Mary's adult life from the beginning is different than anyone else's who's ever lived. Yep. And so it isn't strange to think that her life would be different in that sense. Okay. Her marriage with Joseph would be different. Yep. I don't think that violates, and you have to keep that in mind. I think if you lose that, that kind of uh, makes that seem a little, t- uh, if you keep that in mind, the, the teaching of the perpetual virginity of Mary stays stronger. Okay. The other thing I think, you know, the brothers and so on, it can, in scripture that often doesn't mean literal, like the, the, uh, my sibling from, you know, my mother's other son. Um, it's sort of related to what you just said, but also can have that broader sense of cousins or even kinsfolk or townsfolk. So He's good friends, right? Exactly. Yeah. So another, it, from another mother. Exactly. So, so when we see that usage, although that's what we normally think, because that's what brothers connotes to us uh, scripturally, especially first century, first century Palestine, um, it had that broader sense. And Paul refers to others as his brothers in referring to that spiritual sense. So we see in scripture the the word brothers is used in in in, in different ways than how we normally use it ourselves. Right, and allowing the context helps us understand which way to use it. Yep. And again, we I, I, I didn't look up which, but I know we've talked about the perpetual virginity of Mary in past episodes as well. So uh, browse the archives of Ignition for more. Uh, Father, I think we have time for uh, at least probably, maybe just one more question. We'll, we'll, we'll see anything beyond that. Um, why communion only once a day? So there's there's a, a this is I think a, a canonical law, a, a church law that could be changed, uh, but I, I don't think will be, and for good reason. Um, that that lay people in particular, or those who aren't, you know, priests who celebrate masses is, is the exception here. Obviously, there are times like Sundays when when typically a priest would celebrate mass several times a day, and in order for a mass to be the mass, the priest has to receive holy communion under both species. Um, but when it comes to to just receiving as a, as a member of the congregation, um, church law, it's either once or twice. That I think I've heard differing opinions on, on the formal uh, interpretation of the canon in question, but once or twice, but certainly no more than twice. We ought not receive any more than twice a day. Father, if, if, if the Eucharist, well, the Eucharist is Jesus, it's God himself. Why would we put limits on how many times you can receive Jesus? Because uh, you receive the fullness of Jesus each time you receive Holy Communion. And so you don't quantitatively receive more. So, so the church, I think the way you put it excellently um, when we were preparing to record, uh, the church is here prepare, or, um, protecting against an abuse. Right. A superstitious reception of the sacrament. 
Uh, and I and I can attest to this. I mean, early on in my reversion, uh, as I was trying to to find my way, as I was I was returning to uh, practicing the faith more fully. Um, I, I remember one day in, in particular where I was really struggling with something. I I'd gone to daily mass that day and was struggling with something, and I don't remember what it was. But I do remember that I went to mass again because I needed to receive Jesus again. Um, and it's sort of what you were just saying, the idea that sort of the the grace can wear off really quickly and I need to get more. Right. Uh, and, and so we, we, uh, we need to guard against that. Make sure our faith doesn't become a Stevie Wonder song. Huh? There is superstition. Anyways. <laughs> exactly. I'll quit singing Stevie Wonder songs. Oh, okay. Thank you. It's probably some violation of copyright. <laughs> Father, this has been, I, I've, this has been good. We didn't get to everything. We'll, we'll save these questions for another episode. Don't you think? I think that sounds like a great idea. We have no choice. But if you have more, uh, again, send them in. Uh, we are out of time for, for this episode of Ignition. But if you have questions or topics that you'd like us to address, again, whether it's in two minutes or 20 minutes, send them our way. My email address, one more time, cbergwald at sfcatholic.org. C-B-U-R-G-W-A-L-D at sfcatholic.org. Until next time, dear listeners, may Almighty God bless you all, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.